so so for people at home listening, uh, it's me, it's Mark. We got another edition of the podcast, and as usual. I can say that now for the last over a year we've been doing this. Um, we're catching up with friends around the world and finding out how they're doing, what they're doing, how the world looks from where they sit. And one of my dear friends is back on the podcast. I'm talking with Davey Brightbill today. Hi, Davey. Hey, Mark. And we got the video awful on. Good, awful, good, <laughs> awful good to see your smiling face. <laughs> good to see you too. And uh, we're using Discord today, which I just like the way it, functions at least for two people yeah. yeah it seems like it works well it's my my first experience with it i've been you know seeing uh people refer to discord chats on uh, reddit and other places but um you know i've i've been staying busy and so i've kind of put that on the back burner so thank you for bringing it to the forefront today and i'm glad we did because our backup method um, that we had planned on skype by haven't used it in so long that I've lost track of my credentials. So yeah, it was going to be it was going to be a problem. Plus, I'd lost track of the credentials for the email address that I had registered. Associate, right? Uh, yeah, it's it funny. Be a multifaceted problem. The the, the classic thing, Davey, with um, technology or or a product that gets a corporate name, and I'm thinking here, like for a while, people called them Skype calls, and now everybody says. I was zooming and I just always think to myself like this is such convenient branding for all these companies because it's just a it's a video call or it's an audio call or it's a call but we use these names now it's all zoom and and it's just funny how we we embrace the 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 vocabulary Yeah yeah I um I do multiple zooms a week I do a zoom uh, with a teacher um, in Italy, I'm, I'm studying Italian with a teacher in Italy, and so we do a Zoom uh, once a week. And I just got off a of Zoom with uh, with a group of friends that we get together and try to talk in Italian, some better than others. Um, I'm on the less better side, um, but uh, and then uh, I belong to a drinking club that uh, <laughs> drinks together by a video, by a video. Yeah. But it's a uh, it's a it's in my neighborhood, and so um, somebody will come along. And in fact, here they are. These oh, are yeah. from last Tuesday. They're empty, but uh, they'll bring uh, three little bottles like this with a little part of a dram of, of some kind of liquor in it. Yeah. And so we each we each get three that are the same. Sometimes we know what they are. Sometimes they're a mystery. And then we get together and drink together and discuss how delicious they are or how how much we like them and things like that. It's, 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 uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of fun you can have with your friends right now, but this is, uh, we're trying to adapt and do things, uh, you know, as, as best we can. When I think about it, um, you know, I, I visited you somewhere 2007 or 2008 and, and you were just here, it feels like just yesterday, but that was, uh, 2019, you would have been here, right? Two, two years ago at least. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I know the place where you live. It's, it's quite unique. Um, it's, it's, uh, I always refer to it as a cooperative, a land cooperative. Um, yes. And yeah, your Italian is still fresh, uh, but you know, it's interesting to think about in the context of a pandemic. I mean, I think you guys have been through a lot. You've been, uh, living there. Is it since the late eighties? Oh, early seventies, early seventies. Um, and so, yeah. When you when you think about that timeline, you would have seen a lot of things happen, uh, both between neighbors, uh, but also society, the the community around you, and we can talk about that. But here we are in a pandemic, living in a land cooperative. Um, I mean, what are the 
<laughs> what are the advantages? What you what you're well equipped to handle in this situation, and and what are the maybe the disadvantages? Well, we're we're used to solving problems together, and uh, we're used to um, you know we're used to. I mean, it's like any neighborhood. There are interpersonal dynamics that uh, sometimes are problematic, but uh, we have built um, systems to help ameliorate those kind of problems. Um, so we have a conflict resolution team, for example, that um, is empowered to step into um, interpersonal conflicts and uh, try to get people to chill a little bit when something like that's going on. But so we're used to solving problems. And, uh, you know, we've done a few things um, right off the bat. We've established a distribution point for an online uh, local market. Uh, in our community, and one of our uh, members uh, drives to uh, drives to the city every Thursday in the afternoon and picks up everybody's uh, grocery orders from the online market distribution point and brings them back out and then distributes them. So that's worked out well. That's kept us from having to go to the market on Saturdays, still pretty crowded, uh, the in-person market. And um, We've taken our community center. Um, we have a community center where normally there's musical events and we have a big kitchen, so there's large meals. And I think it, um, since you've been here, Mark, we've, we've actually rebuilt it and it's a really amazing facility. But um, that's right next we, to the pool, right? Right next to the pool. Yeah, yeah. we're lucky. We, we're, we've, and that's a pool we dug by hand, <laughs> at least part of it. And it was but, heated. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it has solar panels, yes, but they're not. <laughs> It's a little cold right now for, for swimming, I think. Uh, I've never been much of a swimmer anyway. But uh, we've taken that we closed the community center because it wasn't good to have indoor gatherings. And then a group of parents uh, of small children came uh, to our our uh, community government and said, we'd, we'd really like to um, keep our children at home uh, during this pandemic, during the next year. And we'd like to set up uh, pods in the center. So we have three pods in the center now. Uh, they're, you know, they're one pod, for example, our uh, group of uh, cousins who live in the neighborhood. Another one are slightly older children that live close to each other. And these are people, these are kids who see each other every day. Uh, the parents have um, hired um, a, a teacher to help with the project. And uh, and so these kids, uh, these kids get school and, and plus they attend some of the online classes at the uh, local school district has too. So, so that's been happening. Um, and, um, you know, in general, um, it, it's nice to live in a neighborhood where you can walk around. I mean, if I lived, I think if I lived in Amsterdam, it would be more difficult to walk around the city, uh, um, because so many people, but I guess maybe it's not so many now. Huh? It's less people, but you never, you kind of never know, or, or maybe you do like today was a sunny day. Well, now you've got more people on the sidewalk. Now, the nice thing is, as we get more and more traffic free, you can walk in the middle of the street. So you have to do some strategic movement. Yeah. 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 But here, it's not a problem. Here, I can yeah. walk through the swamps and walk across the boardwalks and everything and, and get some exercise and feel some fresh air and, you know, kind of experience nature. And uh, the other thing that's kind of big in my life right now is yeah. that I've, well, let's uh, get to that. I've, yeah. had, I've had the first jab. Yeah, I've had my first ouchy ouchy. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> you've got all the nicknames too. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm waiting. I, I should my my second one is due uh, tomorrow actually, and uh, 
I did call my doctor's office to see if it was going to be available, and I was on hold for three hours. Uh, I guess a lot of people had the same question. Oh, right. Um, and when I finally did talk to someone, they said, uh, it's, you know, it's a, um, it's going to be a, um, a while. We don't know. We don't have the supply. And of course, wow. in, in Florida, our governor is behaving badly uh, with regard to uh, the, uh, the pandemic. Uh, you know, we have... Uh, Libraries and museums are closed, but bars are fully open, for oh, example. Wow. And uh, places like uh, theme parks in Orlando are are open. It's it's uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's 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 totally crazy. And then uh, there's a chain of grocery stores in uh, in Florida that's uh, Publix, pretty ubiquitous. Publix, yes. Yeah, I talk and, to my parents uh, once a week. I hear about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 so interesting because. Publix gave a um, $100,000 donation to uh, to the friends of the governor, to the his um, political organization. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, he decided that for almost all the counties in Florida, the only distribution point for vaccines would be pharmacies at Publix. Yeah. Uh, so so the now- The only one. <laughs> the only one, yes. And uh, except in Democratic counties, in predominantly the, the three- Mm -hmm. however many we had not very many yeah uh you know but th those three or four or five counties um they they aren't doing distribution through publics and um it's 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 really um it's really strange i mean i i feel bad because um you know i i try to avoid going to that particular store because they give a lot of money they help fund for example the um treasonous riots in in washington dc mm. through uh, one of the heirs of the company and um i try to avoid going there or try to avoid spending my money with them even though they're very convenient to me they're right down the road mm. um but um uh you know for the people who live in those counties where it's the only option they have to go to a Publix if they want to get um get yep. the injection and um you kind know of, it's uh, it's a problem you know yeah it's 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 also reminds me of i mean of course this can be a force for for helping society but this idea that corporations and businesses will replace uh g governments or or public institutions you know like like when there was still uh Barnes and Noble like we can go to that bookstore instead of you know we no longer go to a library uh and now even that is sort of been replaced again but we we often assume not only in the United States but but United States is very good at that which is don't worry we have a a private solution to what used to be a community or a, or a government uh, service. Here we have a vaccine for a pandemic. Uh, we know governments are very involved with the, the buying in bulk of these vaccines. I'm, I'm knee deep in the articles about the EU struggles, um, which are very confusing, but also very frustrating. Um, and then here we have yeah, a pharmacy. I always think of it as a supermarket, but of course, it's it's. I think they go together, right? There's a Publix, the pharmacy, and supermarket in the, the same building, right? And that's where you go to get your your jab, your vaccine. I mean, that's quite something. Like, I could understand well, okay. if there were many places to choose from, and that was one of them. But no. Well, you know, the state of all the United States, the state that seems to be doing the best in terms of getting the vaccine to the most people and using their products most efficiently is the state of West Virginia, oh. which, you know, a lot of people think is kind of a backward place. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, it's uh, it's uh, old, uh, you know, people living up in the mountains, you know, using outhouses and drinking moonshine. Uh, but, uh, you know, 
truly, uh, they've done an amazing job because they um, they worked with the independent uh, locally owned pharmacies, and that's who uh, that's who they're distributing the vaccine through. So these are places that have deep connections in the community. They already you know have a uh, infrastructure for giving injections because that's where you go to get your flu shot. That's where mm-hmm. I go, for example, the local independent pharmacy, and um, you know they're they're ready to go. They 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 have the right uh, equipment. They have the right procedures in place and everything. So they've been uh, they've been doing this in West Virginia, and as a result, uh, they've been the most efficient in getting out the uh, the, the amount of, uh, of Pfizer and Moderna. Moderna vaccines that they have available it's it's um you know it's it's interesting uh but in in our state it's all about big business because you know that's you know our state our government's run by people who think big business is the answer to everything like you say yeah for a moment i thought that the um irritating but close relationship between the governor of florida and the former president would help florida uh unfairly but help uh, to get vaccines faster than the other states. No, and, and we still don't know. I mean, there, there's no there's no accounting. I don't know if you've been reading about the uh, young woman, the uh, data scientist in Florida, who's had all the problems. So uh, this is a really interesting story, and it's worth tracking down. Um, the the agency in Florida that's responsible for uh, collecting statistics on the pandemic and other health issues in Florida is the Florida Department of Health. And uh, when the pandemic arose and, you know, and and became, you know, foremost in the minds of of people in March of last year, um, the um, there was a, um, you know, a movement in the Department of Health to build what they call a dashboard to um, provide information to the citizens and to the scientists and doctors and so on about the situation in Florida. And pretty quickly, it became apparent that the data was being, it was, it was different every time. It was, it didn't make sense. Uh, They were, you know, the governor, for example, had forbid the, uh, the medical examiners, the people who take care of the dead in the counties in reporting their information to this dashboard, for example, it was it was really strange. So there was a a a, a woman whose name is Rebecca Jones, mm. and Rebecca was uh, uh, kind of the, one of the the leads. She was the kind of the statistician, I guess, the data data scientist who was who was working on this project. And she started speaking out, saying that she was under pressure to change the data or to report things in strange ways. And she was fired uh, for insubordination. Mm-hmm. And so she lost her job. But what she did immediately was she created her own dashboard and uh-huh. started collecting information from various sources. Uh, you know, she was drilling down to local counties and local hospitals and uh, local, um, you know, local medical examiners and things. And, and actually producing a pretty interesting dashboard that rarely agreed with what the official word was. Uh, Hmm. So several weeks ago, um, there was a situation where somebody had used a a system that sends out texts to all the employees of the Department of Health. And somebody had sent out this text uh, saying, um, you know, don't be afraid, speak up, you know, tell the truth and don't be cowered by the, you know, by the bosses. And, um, the uh, state decided that um, 
that this woman had been the person who had sent that out. And it's 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 very nuanced because it was a it was a um, an address uh, a text address that was um, actually on in uh, written in public documents that were available online. So so it's possible that you know anybody could have done this, but they determined it was her, and they came and and did a warrant a couple of weeks ago or, um, and uh, seized all her equipment. And then last week she was arrested. And uh, and uh, I think she's out on bail now. But um, he, when she was arrested, uh, she had apparently developed coronavirus while she was in jail. Hmm. So uh, it's it's a it's a it's an amazing story, and it's one that's worth following. And um, I don't know, you know, there's a lot of controversy about this woman and whether she's um, you know a reliable source or not. You know, mm-hmm. there's lots of lots of different um, lots of different thoughts about it, but it's. It's an interesting story because it's it sounds a lot like retribution from the political establishment to go after this lady for, you know, and and um, it's and it's yeah. a strange time. And we know that there is an entire I don't know wave in politics of people who operate this way, right? Uh, you get your revenge one way or another. You remember who who helped you, and you remember who hurt you, and you you make sure to get them eventually, right? That's it rots from the top, you know, or it did in the previous administration. Yeah. It rots started at the top, and uh, you know, we have uh, we have a representative from uh, just west of here, a, a guy named Matt Gates, who's uh, he's it's incredible. He's um, he's you know he's um, I think he has aspirations for <laughs> being a senator or being president, uh, but he um, he was in Wyoming a couple days ago. You know, whipping up a frenzy amongst the Republicans that you know that uh, that Liz Cheney was a bad person. And right, she's a pretty conservative person, as far as I can yeah. tell. Yeah, and I don't agree on very much. But now <laughs> she's become the enemy, so she's a target uh, of theirs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, Davy. Uh, over a year ago, as as the coronavirus was really becoming a thing, uh, certainly where you were, you had also um, a health issue. If I'm not mistaken, I mean, how how did everything go? I mean, maybe we start from the beginning, actually. Oh, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Well, you know, when the when the virus first became apparent, I was actually living in Tuscany at the time, living in in, uh, in the province of Arezzo, um, and I left um, I left Italy uh, just a few days early, just because it was unclear about whether you know that the government was going to suspend flights. Uh, there were, there's just no no telling, so I ended up leaving a little early, came home, and. Um, I, um, while I was gone, um, my uh, doctor had retired. So, uh, you know, I've, I had a new, uh, new doctor I had to to meet with. And, um, I actually, you know, had, I think my only in-visit doctor's visits, um, to that point for a while. And, um, she gave me a lot of tests and they found, uh, um, a, uh, shadow on uh, one of my kidneys. And Mm. so, uh, um, I, I I want to say that I was very fortunate. You know, I once you know when you when you when there's a possibility of a tumor in your life, um, it uh, definitely changes your thinking. Mm. Um, I'm fortunate for many reasons. Um, you know, I'm fortunate for where I live and and who I live with and all those things. But also, uh, I'm fortunate that I have health insurance because um, that is not a given in the United States. Oh. Um, you know, um, I, it's it's not, you know, um, uh, I know many people, including members of my own family, who um, live without health insurance or have 
you know, really, really limited health assurance. They have a cheap, uh, uh, um, you know, policy through Obamacare, for example, that has a high deductible or something. Um, it's 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 a it's a problem for many people. So I was lucky. Not only did I have uh, good insurance, uh, and um, I also was eligible to uh, to go be um, cut on at the place called the Mayo Clinic, which is a, the Mayo Clinic is a famous um, uh, medical institution. They you know they're famous because they spend about twenty to thirty percent of their time doing research, and uh, you know they're they're kind of a leading edge company. And uh, this was in uh, a city near here. There's a Mayo Clinic in a city near here. I went there and had surgery, a good Italian robot named Da Vinci mm-hmm. uh, used in my operation. And um, they cut out a little bit of my kidney. They cut out the, the suspicious spot. And it turned out it was benign. All right. Uh, it turned out it was, um, it was, uh, so, you know, it's, I have less kidney now. My kidney functions are not as good as most people, but, um, you know, I'm just lucky that I'm, I'm lucky that I, that, that I was able to even have the surgery and I'm lucky that um, that um, the outcome was much better than it could have been. Coming back, staying with medicine, but coming back to the um, the vaccine, what is the process? Because my even my parents have been telling me bits and pieces, but they're they're definitely struggling um, to get your spot. Depends on the county. Um, so um, you know, in my county, when the vaccine was first announced, it was a uh, that that the, our county had received from through the health department. I immediately, uh, as soon as I heard, I immediately went online and filled out a little um, Microsoft form and uh, deposited it with them um, and uh, and then waited. Uh, that was for the county health department to provide the Moderna vaccine. And um, it, um, you know, even though I applied on the first day, I applied in the evening. Mm-hmm. And apparently there were, you know, 10,000 people who had applied uh, that day. So, you know, and they don't have that many. They don't. They didn't have that many doses to start with. So, yeah. they um, they occasionally have a a clinic, and it's at a local fire station. And uh, you stay in your car. You drive in. It's just sort of like drive-in um, uh, coronavirus testing. We have that too here. But um, you drive in to uh, this fire station. They uh, take some information and have you sign a release and so on. And then they. Uh, give you the the injection while you're in the car, uh, your Fauci wow. ouchie. Yes, um, and then the, and then you go sit in a little parking lot for 15 minutes to make sure you don't, uh, you know, you don't, um, you know, have an adverse reaction to the to the vaccine. Right. Uh, so I was waiting for that, and then I I heard that my uh, my the, the health plan that I'm part of, um, the HMO had a supply of the Pfizer vaccine, so I called them up. And was able to uh, get the first injection two days later. I'm scheduled for the second injection, or you know, I should be scheduled tomorrow, but I haven't heard anything. And at my health plan, um, they set up a special clinic 
um, for vaccines in an unused part of their facility. Uh, so you go in at a specific time. Uh, they have kind of a buffer where people can sit. You have to, of course, be masked and a lot of people wearing face shields also. Um, and then uh, when it's your turn, they call you in. They have, I think, eight rooms where they have somebody giving the injections. And again, they have a, a holding area where you sit for 15 minutes before you, you're released. And uh, so, but what about in, um, in, in the Netherlands? Are, are people getting vaccines yet? Nope. Anybody? <laughs> well, yes, yes. Some people are, uh, I think, medical staff. Yeah, yeah. But the, the it's just a overall problem. Um, I think among the suppliers they were counting on was the one from Oxford, uh, AstraZeneca. A lot of that, I think, is produced actually in Belgium. But um, they're already telling governments, I know what you ordered. I know what you paid for. Uh, we can't fill even half of that order. I mean, there's a lot of way lower estimates in terms of delivery. Now there's a bit of a battle that I still don't fully understand about the EU trying to limit what could be exported from the EU to try and keep some, I think, some vaccines within uh, the, the union, which is seen as nationalism, which is seen as pretty ugly. Um, but I I don't know. If I were in government and I and this started to happen, I can't say that I would be so benevolent in that moment. It's hard to know what to do. Um, but the result is that the numbers of people that get vaccinated here, I've looked at them over the course of days. Now they, they publish them along with the infection uh, numbers and, and the emergency room numbers. It's the new stat there. And it's very low. Uh, I calculated that for a population of 17 million, uh, it would take years <laughs> to, at this rate to vaccinate everyone. So I don't know. You know, I have a friend who's, um, he has a fragile immune system. Um, he's in his, I think he's in his 60s and and he's very afraid. And he, he got a letter at some point uh, towards the end of last year saying, get ready or, or, or we're going to be in touch. And uh, I watch his mail carefully. He's staying out of the city. And um, there's just nothing, nothing. I, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to get past. I think they're supposed to be into senior homes now. But I, I don't know how that's going. Um, and I just know that everything they thought they'd be able to do, they're many times delayed, many times slower than they thought they would be. But you don't go to the Albertine for your, uh, I do. For your injection. Oh, no. <laughs> I thought you'd say for my groceries because that's the grocery store, right? But uh, no, that's unlikely. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because I read and saw photos of how Germany had gone really out of their way to create... Uh, same way with testing centers, vaccination uh, centers, maybe just like you said, so that you could drive. Germany's a big driving culture. So is this one outside of the cycling. They really like their cars. I'm sure you you saw in your travels here. Um, but I haven't seen, I mean, I don't get around enough, I guess, but uh, you don't hear a lot about, oh, there's a testing center opening up. Matter of fact, the last time I heard anyone talk about a center, it was that the protesters had burned, or if they're protesters, I don't know, but vandals had burned down a testing center in the north of Amsterdam um, as a statement against corona. Well, I was the first person uh, in my county to get um, get a COVID test, from what I understand. I came back, I think I arrived on the 2nd or 3rd of March from Italy, and on my way home, I had passed through uh, Milano, yeah. which was kind of the center of the of the um 
initial, you know, um, problem in Italy. And I also had spent a couple of days in Bologna, which is also Emilia Romagna, also had a, a terrible problem mm-hmm. uh, and continues to have. Um, and uh, a few days before I left, when I was still in Tuscany, I, I had a little bit of a fever and a little bit of, mm-hmm. you know, kind of flu-like symptoms. So when I got home, I called the, the clinic up and told them, and um, I got calls from the epidemiologists. They were you know, pretty excited, I think, because they were getting to use this protocol for the first time. And uh, so they it took a couple of days to get tested because they had to set up a testing protocol for it. And uh, I ended up going to the the health plan, to the clinic of the health plan, again, an unused area. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to wait in my car. They came out with a mask for me. And uh, because it was before we had masks, you know, I just got back and um, they came out with a mask for me. Somebody came out gowned and gloved and handed me a mask in my car window and then had me follow them into the clinic. And I went through um, hallways that had Visqueen plastic, Mm. um, flexible plastic that had been put on all the walls into a room that had flexible plastic that was around all the walls and the uh, this uh, eventually this doctor came in and he was an older gentleman i had never i've never seen him before or since and um he uh it was like a multi there were multiple um collection methods they did uh, the nose the mouth wow. the saliva hmm. and uh and uh, sent it off and it was all negative which was a good thing but i did ask the doctor the older doctor if they had decided he would be the one to do it since he had had already lived a good life <laughs> and <laughs> I'll go. <laughs> he was Son, not, he was you used. stay back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's um it's funny how these things become so routine, the amount of people that get tested every day, the amount of test results that are getting delivered somewhere. Um yeah, yeah. I I I know how to get a test, but it would still be quite a task to do it. Um, to make the call, to wait, to get the appointment. I, I wonder how those things are going right now. But over the course of the year, I definitely heard good and bad stories of how successful people were, uh, what kind of delays they faced. It's It's been tricky over here. Yeah, I've, I've read, I read an article recently that um, in the Italian press that uh, the uh, national government had, uh, had uh, contracted with a relatively famous architect to uh, build pop-up facts or to design a pop-up vaccination center. And I've seen some photographs. They're like a big pink yerk looking kind of thing, you know. And, it's uh, a Renzo Piano vaccination. That's the only Italian designer I know for building like architects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. It seems like you're doing pretty well. How, I mean, you talked about the great socializing and hobbies that you you some of them that you managed to get in via video during the week um how's it going for your other projects i mean i know how much effort you've always put into makerspaces for example your makerspace there is that stuff going forward is it in a sort of holding pattern now uh, so when the when the uh, pandemic um you know really first became a an issue here in in florida but also uh, across the United States, um, a really huge problem was the lack of supply of PPE. Yeah. And uh, so um, what happened with our makerspace and with many, many makerspaces um, around the country, and I guess in other countries too, uh, they uh, transitioned from you know places for people to come and work on projects, tinker, or take classes and things into micro factories for PPE. And so uh, 
I think when we when the pandemic first hit, we had one working 3D printer, hmm. and uh, uh, now there. I well, the last time I was there, it's been a month or so because I've, I've been staying home mostly. But um, uh, there were I think 12 that that uh, at the at the peak, maybe even more than that. Um, people donated um, donated um, uh, or loaned. Uh, 3D printers to the space. Uh, the schools were closed. The public schools were closed. So one of the public schools had eight printers. They, you know, ha- had us come pick them up. And and so night and day, um, the um, the makerspace was uh, using its machines uh, to build the frames for the face shields that are so important uh, in, in hospitals. And um, the um, the the I don't know. Lots of people donated uh, supplies for it. Um, the Rotary Clubs, uh, which I think is a pretty fine organization, they donated uh, pretty much a pallet of uh, filament for our 3D printers. Mm. Uh, Coca-Cola Company, the cause of my diabetes, mm. um, they, uh, they donated uh, um, huge rolls of the uh, of the plastic they used to make the bottles out of the big big rolls, and so uh, we got a roll of that, and we we're, were able to you know, to cut it. And then the other product that was made by the makerspaces in a big way uh, was uh, were, were intubation boxes. And uh, so for spaces that had uh, uh, laser cutters and could cut the right kind of plastic, uh, they built these uh, intubation boxes that were kind of this thing that go over a person's head and they have armholes in the side and you're able to do the intubation, oh. but it's like you've shielded the person's face from the outside air. Right. And because uh, the, the intubation, especially of people with COVID, is is a very, uh, very dangerous thing. And then other groups um, in, in my neighborhood, um, there was uh, some folks that got together and started a, a mask sewing project. Hmm. And so uh, they created thousands of masks. But I, I think um, as far as the face shields and makerspace is made around the country there was a an open source um, ppe project that was tracking this and uh the, there were millions and millions of these mm. shields made and and deployed uh you know throughout the uh throughout the uh, the area and, and there was kind of a fight a little bit of a fight over who was going to get them you know we oh, yeah. we distributed ours through the local medical society but you know then uh there was some interest from people like funeral home workers, mm. you know, they wanted to have access to PPE also. And, uh, you know, uh, teachers, you know, mm. when first one schools were still open, um, they wanted, you know, access to PPE. So it, it was, and now of course you can go to any big box store and buy face shields and masks and whatever else you want, uh, uh, with no problem. Yeah. Well, wow, that's still impressive. The, 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 the way people are able to come together and produce and distribute uh, the the kind of things that you're talking about, I, I've been quite inspirational. Yeah, I've been working um, with people in mostly in South Asia. I'm helping, trying to help them come up with uh, either connections or funds, even uh, help write proposals. And some of them are education projects at a distance. Some of them are. Um, health related but one of the requests that always comes up when I'm writing these proposals sometimes it's not even about health it's about education but they'll say please add a section on PPE because where we are in India or in Nepal 
we don't have that much PPE. Students don't have, you know, you've got your one or two masks. They're disposable. Like you you need this. And we've seen it right over the last year. Uh, You're going to buy that box and you think 50 masks. uh, This is going to take me forever to go through, but it goes, you know? And, And so one of the things I always have to keep in mind is any request I make or I'm trying to make on what kind of program this is, who is being served by it, also, we need PPE in that region. It's just now become a standard request, but it is a big request still. Yeah, it's a, it's a big ask. And, and you know, it's also, uh, as far as PPE goes, it's also a problem um, to, to know whether the PPE you're getting, especially masks, are actually functional or not. You know, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a huge problem because, you know, I mean, I ordered some um kn95 mass a couple uh, days ago to, yeah which is which is my only option i i, I when i i had to go to the uh, i had to go to the the hospital um a week ago to have some additional tests to make sure everything was okay and had to drive you know across the state to get there and um i i saved my my one n95 mass for that use because right. i figured yeah. being in a hospital is probably the most dangerous place right. i could possibly be at any point in time right so go with the good stuff yeah, but it's it's really hard to it's really hard to know, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so hard to know, and and uh, you know, there's it's 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 kind of like we're still in kind of the all hands on deck trying to get whatever we can out to as many people as we can. Yeah, I mean, things have eased up a bit in that regard, but not totally, and uh, there's still not a, a lot of uh, work being done to to really determine whether a particular set of masks are effective or not. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean. Anybody can slap N95 or KN95 or on the side of a piece of cardboard and, and you know, who knows, you know, yeah. if it's really is or not. Yeah. Yeah. I've been reading the articles coming out of mostly the U.S. on double masking. Uh, and, and I see it a lot, you know, all the images we've seen of senators and, and the, those that do wear masks. Um, you see the double masking and I keep thinking, um, you know, this may be necessary but how am I going to, as I'm talking, uh, Davey's putting on his KN95 plus a cloth mask over it. He's now keeling over. He can't breathe. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what I'm thinking is it may be necessary, right? And, and research will show it. But how are we going to get people that we've just barely got wearing masks to wear two masks? Uh, I mean, maybe the the... It's a, you know, once you get the first step, the second step is easier. But, you know, I go to, you mentioned Albert Hein. I go to my Albert Hein maybe once a week uh, because I don't have a lot of storage space uh, or, you know, and have to carry everything myself, of course. And um, every kid or adult in that place is usually doing what we call nose masking. Uh, You know, the nose is sticking out of the mask now. That's all that. We call that having a face stick. (laughs) Right. And, you know, and then I start to think, what if double masking is actually what we all need to do for now until we figure something else out? How am I going to get the, yes, the nose dick guy to just to, not only to wear one properly, but to wear two. You see, you got to have a mask. I don't know if you can read that, but you got to have cool. the mask that says cool on it. Oh yeah. Cause then you're cool. Yes. Yeah. I, I do notice like Nancy Pelosi, not that she's the height of cool, but such style, every mask she wears is a little bit different. And I know there's a story behind each one. Yeah, and the woman, I can't think of her name, she has a, a, a Slavic last name, I think, who's a new press secretary for oh, yeah. President Biden, Jen Senior. or Jean or Jen yeah. or yeah. Piaki or something. 
she also, when she shows up for the meetings, uh, for the press conferences, before she takes her mask off, it's, it's always, it's, you know, it's always like something to note, you know, because, yeah. uh, yeah, you're right. In yeah. the end, that, that could be the thing. I, I've done a few podcasts not long ago on open source, right? And this, this relates to you and I, and the use of open source tools and, and what it would take, you know, because whether it's for chat or, or voice or whatever it is, there are lots of options that are open source, but people don't use them. And I was asking people who are programmers and, and various people in the world of open source sort of evangelism, what would it take? And they always say, well, to some extent, it would have to be cool. It would have to be seen as cool. So Signal needs to have stickers and, and emojis. And, and and I at first, I was surprised, like, that's what we need. It has to be cool. But yeah, they put a lot of value on that. Yeah. Well, you know, and there's some cultures that have a, a stronger sense of style than others. You know, I, I live in a, I live in a uh, community here in, in where I live that, you know, style is pretty much retro farmer you know but uh <laughs> but but you know when i'm when i'm in uh when i'm in italy um and hopefully i'll be there again one day not too long in the future um i i really do feel the italian sense of style very strongly you know i mean it just seems that people uh, pay attention to yeah how they put themselves together how far would you go you wear a tie no not that not that kind of uh, i um uh, <laughs> haven't worn a tie in a long time i've only worn a tie twice recently once was uh on the day i went to vote for president obama the first time i wore a tie and a suit um kind of as an homage to the freedom riders um and then um uh, the last um the very last uh summer of the obama administration i was a guest at the white house and so i um for a meeting there um not with the president but with the uh the makerspace community and uh, i did um i decided if i was going to the white house i was going to wear a suit and shiny shoes and things and i figured i had to represent you know yeah i was the only person there i think who dressed thus uh, but um it was still uh, i still felt good about doing it that was your italian side yeah i guess <laughs> or your or your uh respect for the white house you know from that that line of thinking yeah. Yeah. that's what that's kind of what i was looking at you know it was it was um it was a uh, it was an honor to get to be invited there and to get to spend the day there with those folks and and to meet other uh people who had been instrumental in organizing the makerspace movement in the u.s it was it was incredibly uh incredibly inspiring and uh it uh, it was the um kind of the nexus for creating an organization in the United States called the Nation of Makers, and uh, NAM, mm-hmm. and uh, so NAM is our uh, is our national kind of coordinating and uh, advocacy, our trade association, if you will, for makerspaces. And that organization came out of that that meeting and others at the White House. Okay. Oh, I did not know about NAM, and uh, that that is very good to know. And I, I actually might refer people in the future to to that. Um, Hey, what, maybe one of my last questions for today, because I, I don't want to keep you too long. Obviously, there's a new president in the United States. I don't know. How do you feel when you talk to people or, or when you read, whether it's news or just communication with people? Do you feel any difference? Uh, yeah. How's yes. it been? Yes. <laughs> yes. People, I think people in general, uh, people of my uh, political persuasion, 
um, left wing, um, are, Humane. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, are feeling a little lighter now. Uh, I think it's still a very dangerous time. Um, one of my friends in Italy asked the other day if there was going to be a civil war in this country, mm. and uh, so we ended up talking about um, about guns. I learned mm. some new words. <laughs> ah. I didn't. But uh, but yeah, we learned about we talked about uh, about that a lot, and and I think that it's um, you know it's still a possibility. There's a lot there's a lot of guns in this country, and um, and um, there are a lot of crazy people, yeah. and um, you know so I, I still worry quite a bit. I, I try to you know maintain situational situational awareness when I'm out and about, um, and uh, you know try to be friendly and not. Uh, Trying not to be, um, I don't know, I don't want to be confrontational with people. I, I'm trying not to be that way because it's just, you know, first of all, it doesn't seem like it does any good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, I do give the I do give the stink eye a little bit to people who don't have the masks on and things, mm-hmm. but, but um, or ask sometimes in, in stores if somebody will put on a mask if they're wow. working with me. But, um, but you know, I, I think we feel a little lighter. Um, it's it's nice to see a normal situation. I, I think you know I've been surprised about the speed at which um, the new president has um, has done some pretty good things. You know, I mean he it, he's kind you know it's it's I was you know not a big supporter of, of his early on. Uh, I was a you know had another candidate that I was in favor of, but um, it's got good mittens. You know, yeah. <laughs> oh, you guessed. <laughs> it was either that or I was just hoping maybe Elizabeth Warren had some mittens somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Elizabeth Warren just recently has been saying some things that are supportive of the hedge funds that are getting oh, hammered. I, I actually haven't been reading yeah. anything of hers lately or, or yeah. Yeah, yeah. By the, by the GameStop move, the, oh, the yeah. Reddit people. Yeah. So uh, anyway, but listen, I wanted to ask you kind yeah. of a couple of questions too. Uh, sure. First of all, are you, are you riding your bike in the winter? Um, what I've, I have not, so a little bit, but here's what I've been doing. There's a, a trend uh, or a, a, a new thing happening in the neighborhood, which is um, uh, e-bikes, right? That you can rent uh, by the hour and they're just on the street. They have a little... Actually, they don't even have stations. They have a parking space just in white line, and they have a battery that the company keeps track of. You can also see in your app how's the battery for that bike before you choose it. And what, my, what's the company? They're called Cargaroo. Oh no, I don't know that one. Yeah, there's a different company in uh, in Italy that's scattered around, and and yeah. then in in Rome they have Uber bikes that are that way. Okay, huh? Because now there's another company that is just set up stations. It's just actually a piece of metal where you park two bike tires. I saw some people, since they haven't yet put out the actual bike from this company, I think they're called Urbi or Orbi, but some people are just putting their bikes in it because it's still a parking space. Um, But I heard those are going to be e-bikes. But anyway, I'm fascinated and haven't gotten a lot of experience on e-bikes so i've been occasionally taking it out uh to go like see someone or you know just sort of deliver i've had to deliver a few things to people and i i ride the e-bike uh just to try it um i you know my friend who's a bike maker in town he runs work cycles which is my bicycle and he always laments uh the rise of of e-bikes in this country because it's not that hard you know we're not a mountainous place 
Europe. Europe. It's, it's plenty flat in, yes. in Amsterdam. But everybody, it's like not, all trends, they're asking well, for e-bikes. You know, it's very popular. Yeah, the only mountains, I, only mountains I know about in uh, in the Netherlands are along the coast. If you're if you're riding your bike from uh, from dunes. south to north uh, up yeah. toward uh, up toward uh, Belgium, it's uh, then that the wind is what I call the Dutch mountains. Uh, yeah, because uh, it's a it's a torrential wind. Yeah. Well, I have a uh, I have an e-bike now, and uh, I um I I had been on a bike trip in Scandinavia and, uh, a few years ago, and um, I, it was a trip that went from uh, Oslo to uh, Aarhus, from Oslo, Norway to Aarhus in Denmark, and um, and along the way I encountered the the uh, mountains of Sweden and ended up having to walk my bike up one mountain. Um, <laughs> you know, it just was it was there are times. really difficult, <laughs> and uh, I. Uh, when I got back uh, to the States, I started looking around for an e-bike and I found a really interesting one that came from, uh, it was a distributor in, uh, in a city nearby who had imported this particular bike because it had big racks. It was like a work bike and it had big racks. So you could, the idea was he was going to try to sell it to a pizza company to get, get them to be interested in having electric bikes for delivering pizza, which yep. is very common in Europe. Yes, um, it's, but, uh, it's crazy. Not, it's common, not known, yeah. not not known here at all. Yeah, and uh, so he got this thing, and he had, it. You know, he was not successful in talking a pizza company into doing that. So huh. it, it sat in his uh, warehouse for a while, and I ended up buying it for short money. And I've just been loving it. It's um, I, I you know, I'm a I'm a modder. I like to take something that I get and modify it to fit my needs. So I've added a computer to it that allows me to reprogram the electronic control so that it behaves in different ways. And, and uh, I've hooked up a, um, the power supply to a speaker so that I can listen to podcasts, for example, when I'm on <laughs> trips. I, um, Important. Uh, I take a trip through the woods that's about I don't know about six miles, I guess. Yeah. And it's my my normal ride. It's a kind of ride to town, toward town, and then ride back, hmm. and uh, on a on a dirt trail. But uh, it's really uh, it's it's totally fun. I, I totally get it. And um, you know, I call it um, I call electric bikes. Uh, I say that you can coast uphill yeah. on an electric bike. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really empowering, actually. I uh, I mean, as much as. Regular bikes are totally fine and and should continue to exist, I would hope. But I understand, like when I yeah, what I've learned about riding an e-bike is, it's a little bit exciting, at least so far for me. Like it's it's, and and the world is doesn't feel so big. You know, I can get there. I can, you know, uh, yeah. I can get yeah, further. I can, I can actually I can actually ride to the grocery store, yeah. um, and uh, uh, from my house, and it's about. I guess about seven miles down a dirt path. That's about a, a mile on each end on paved roads. Those are the only times when I'm a little bit nervous because, you know, there's no shoulders. No, those are no, some busy streets once you get out there. I remember that, yeah. getting to your and, and, community. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's like the, normally, you know, I keep looking in my mirror when I'm traveling and I want to make sure if a car is coming up, I'm ready to drive into the ditch if i need to yeah they're not yeah. paying attention because around here it's um you know it's not unusual for a cyclist to get to get murdered by uh automobiles yeah. but um but yeah i like it a lot well listen um i really appreciated the opportunity to uh to chat with you today i need to uh i've got another project i'm working on somebody gave me a 1954 ford station wagon so uh Ooh. i'm uh i'm actually uh 
I'm actually doing some, uh, I'm doing a little bit of painting on it today. And I'm, um, with some help from a friend, I've got, we're several friends. I've gotten the motor running. It actually drives now. So wow. uh, now I need, now I need to, it needs, needs to have brakes, you know, that's the, it, which uh, are overrated. I think anyway, which, <laughs> you just need to plan ahead. That's all. <laughs> so that's my project for today, but it's really good to see you. I hope I see you in person again one day. Um, Me too. I'm, I'm uh, so looking forward to be traveling again. It's, um, it's so hard to, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky to be where I am, but it's mm. so hard to stay home. And I know you probably feel much the same. Yeah, there are many people I miss and, and places too, uh, that, that were such a regular part of my life. And uh, yeah, so in some ways, uh, definitely, you get very, I get very nostalgic at different moments. I think, oh, I got to go talk to someone. So I send you a message, see how you're doing. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe even do a podcast. So this was great. Thank you, Davey. And it's really wonderful. Thank you, Mark. And uh, I hope that your uh, your your next week is um, it's a good one. People are kind and uh, people are rational around you, and uh, you have a little bit of fun. Uh, likewise, likewise to your side. I'll talk to you soon. All right, I'm lucky. Bye bye. Su te shango, señe de rase, ederra. Beste y gabe, Just a quick note on today's podcast as we close here. Uh, Since we recorded, obviously, many more people have gotten vaccines, including my parents, including people in the Netherlands. I just wanted to point that out. It obviously will seem dated as you listen to it, because every day, some things do actually happen. Anyway, that's it. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Stay away. Stay away. Stay away.